Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 126, Carnitas on a Tailgate and Surprise Freezer Defrost. On this episode of Huntivore, we join Nick after a series of events, both awesome and not so awesome. First, he was humbled by an article entitled, Roast What You Kill, and is reflecting on his thoughts. Second, in preparation for a bachelor party, Nick prepares carnitas and venison barbacoa to be slung out as Blackstone tacos on a tailgate. Finally, Nick was again humbled by a wall of water and ice coming from his freezer. All sorts of ups and downs on this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey folks, beautiful morning here in Michigan. Welcome to another Thursday here with the Huntivore. Uh, it feels good being on Thursdays, uh, getting close to the weekend, getting close to the finally having a chance uh to get to the grill, get to the smoker, or get to the deep fryer, whatever you're going to be planning on cooking. Like, here we are a couple days before you having some time. For many of us, we just got done being uh, out at the grill, out at the smoker, out at the kitchen, wherever you were at, maybe serving up something for Father's Day. Uh, another great time just to celebrate dad, grandpa, uh, celebrate folks who have been just pinnacles uh, in our life as men. And with that, one of the things we do is we like to, to grill things and get the fatty pieces of pork or be able to pull out of the freezer uh, some of those desirable cuts of venison and wild game that we've been holding back. How many backstraps just got butterflied, stuffed, re-rolled, and grilled? How many pork butts just got smoked and slow cooked and shredded to be just glazed over with a sauce, a barbecue sauce, and then sandwiched on a Hawaiian bun with some with some coleslaw on the slide on the side? I can't even think. I can't even fathom the amount, the poundage of meat that was roasted, that was fried, that was cooked, that was smoked. That just happened this weekend. All to say thank you to our fathers uh, in our lives. So yeah, thank you for all those fathers that are in our life. And with that, I even want to turn attention to an article that I read. Actually, it was a couple weeks ago, but it points at not just uh, 
my father or even my grandfather, but it goes even a little bit further and it points to my heavenly father. Um, so for folks who are listening, who, uh, who understand uh, where I'm coming, please tune in. Uh, if this isn't your jive, then um, yeah, we'll be back with you soon. But anyway, out of the, of the Old Testament, we got Proverbs 12, 27. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. I saw this in an article written by Greg Morse. Uh, I've not had a chance to connect with Greg, but I have reached out to just say, hey, incredible article, very challenging. What I thought was going to be a simple matter of me reading an article and maybe like gleaning out a couple points that I could bring into the show, I ended up going on my own little hike on myself, a little, uh, a little pep talk, a little walk on a trail of self-reflection that brought a little bit of heat of the desert. Um, yeah. It's amazing how scripture will find a way to have you do a quick self-check. And being from Proverbs, this is from uh, the Old Testament. It's actually uh, one of the things from the, the, from the great king of the Old, Old Testament. And his, he's writing down this, all these uh, little sayings and little things to be... Um, careful of or or to be thoughtful of. And this was a great opportunity where this really did uh, take precedent. Um, Yeah, again, I happily jumped into this. But as as Greg in his article broke it down, I'll try to put that in the show notes as well. He says in there that what what a strange picture for someone to get up in the early part of the morning, prepare themselves, know their weapon, know their prey, to stalk them tirelessly, pursue this prey, kill this prey, bring it back for the celebration of the hunt, but then go no further. To bring back the hunt bring back the nourishment, but at the same time also say, my work here is finished. Or at least I'm to lose the motivation to then roast the game, to cook the beast, and then to fully celebrate in its entirety. To be able to share that with the tribe, with the friends, with the family, with the surrounding relatives. That is what we are looking for to finish at, and how often we fall short. He goes on to then lay this out in several different areas, some of which who start very well uh, at their job, but then finish poorly, or who can't seem to keep the motivation, who doesn't work hard till the end. I mean, we all have those days where we need a little pep talker, some, someone to get us going when we get into the monotony of a job. He takes a look at how we present ourselves to our kids and to our family, how we give the best to the outside world, and when we come home, there's not a whole lot left in the tank. But instead of 
trying to recharge and then enjoy the ones that we spend the most amount of time with, the ones that are most precious to us, how often little we give. And so those were really good pointed questions. As I finished out the school year, tired and exhausted, and maybe maybe that was a self-reflection of myself. How, how much effort were you giving at the last week when many of those students know they, they were going to be gone on to summer break? For some of them also a very exciting time because they're going to be refreshed, but some of them also very anxious because they don't know what their home life is going to be like. Did I finish out that race the best that I could? So that's always a good little self-reflection. Second is, am I returning and am I cooking the beast for my family? Are they either they receiving the best or are they coming home or am I coming home and presenting the tired, beat down, not wanting to do anything uh, person that's now there? I can't even say at that point you're, you're doing your job as a father. You're, you're missing the mark. So both were real, real self-reflections uh, those couple weeks after I read, read this article. So that, that was my own personal reflection on it. And to finish that out as to, to regain my uh, sights on where they need to be, he does finish, Greg does finish with an uh, excerpt from Philippians, Philippians 3.14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on forward to the goal to win the prize. And what is that prize? Well, here in Philippians, he's pointing directly towards Christ. But are the little prizes along the way, are they worth running for? Are my kids and my family worth running steadfast and hard towards? Is my job the lives that I affect every day uh, as the youth of America, is it worth getting up and giving the best that I can? And those are both open-ended hypothetical questions. Of course, both of those are yes. But to have those questions put forward to me and to really regain as I go through this summer to recharge, uh, to you know, regain energy and to plan for next year, when the school season kicks off, when I get to that line, when I get to the starting line of that season and the gun goes off, am I going to be running in the right direction? Am I going to be having the motivation that I need to be able to go for those prizes, for the ultimate prize to be in line? It was just a really good thought. So as I thought about this, I definitely wanted to pose that to listeners. Are we running in such a way that we are going towards the prize? And let me use this as an inference now where my, my other listeners can join back in, those who don't necessarily jump into the faith here. But now we can use this text as a motivation for all of us. Are we running towards the prize in a way that is going to be pleasing? Are we roasting our game after the hunt? Are we pursuing 
the game and looking forward to the ultimate end? Are we going to bring the celebration to our hunting and our fishing heritage? Are we going to bring in the energy, the motivation? Are we going to invite others in to keep this lifestyle going? Because if we don't run for this prize, if we don't continue to keep on running in such a way as to win, are we going to lose what we absolutely love? Because we see it every day, either in social media or in news links, but we see attacks on how people hunt. We see attacks on how people fish. We see people being brought down for the way that they want to engage our wild animals and our wild places. And we got to make sure that we are presenting ourselves above reproach, that we're presenting ourselves as a way of look at what good we do bring. Because if we just yell insults like the naysayers say to us, are we no better than them? We want to continue to push forward as legislation goes through and takes us out at the knees, every little chip and every little peg along the way, what are we doing with that? Are we, are we chipping them along? Are we turning, returning the favor to them? Are we going eye for an eye? Or again, are we going to run in such a way that we are above reproach and they see the good that comes from it? And I know the way that I have chosen to pursue that is through the full roasting of that beast. That when I pursue my animal, when I pursue my prey, and I bring it down, I want every aspect of that animal to be used, to be utilized, that nothing will go to waste in everything that I'm doing. Now, I'm no uh, no stranger to the idea that if a deer is hit alongside the road, there will be scavengers that will take care of that. Nothing inevitably goes to waste. But if the act of me leaving something into a wild space where something has to then take care of that instead of myself, I'm choosing to try and do the utmost uh, good that I can. I want to roast that beast. I want to not just hunt in a way that I bring back the game and then stop there, lose motivation. But I want to then celebrate fully with that beast being roasted completely. So yeah, it was a nice little article, and I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. But it was just a good reflection on as we start, as I was starting my summer, and as we prepare for seasons to happen this fall, I know some of them are not that far away. And I know for anglers right now, this is the hot time to be out, to be fishing, to be uh, trying to trap uh, crab and to be, I mean, shoot, even be going for, for bluegills. Are we doing it in such a way that we're getting that fry oil hot and we're bringing home and we're scaling or we're uh, skinning those fish in such a way to present a bounty to our friends and family to let us know that this wild food was prepared for them and that they are to enjoy it because that's how we keep this whole thing going. So there it is. Are you roasting what you kill? 
in all sense of that phrase. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Okay, well. There's our heavy-ended section of our episode today. Uh, yeah, we'll move on from uh, the food for thoughts at the moment here. And now we'll probably talk a little bit more about what everybody was expecting, and that's going to be physical food on our plates. I kicked off this summer with a couple fun projects. The first was I wanted to smoke... Uh, some of that wild pork that I got earlier uh, this spring. Now, I know that's been a topic that I've talked a lot about, and when I processed these uh, pigs out, I kept them in larger cuts, knowing that I did want to make hams, knowing I did want to make some sort of bacon, whether that's going to be a pancetta rolled because of how thin my bacon sides, my bellies are going to be, or actually just doing slab bacon. I haven't yet opened up that Pandora's box to figure out which direction I'm going to go with that. But a couple of the things that I really wanted to focus on was the shoulder and being that I was going to have a pork butt and I was going to have a pork picnic. I think I've mentioned this in other episodes too, so I'll, I'll make it brief and I'll make it uh, pretty quaint. But when you take off a shoulder of that hog, you're left with mainly three parts. You're going to have the end that is high on the hog. That is the most desirable. It's going to have most of the meat. It's going to have most of the fat. And it's going to have the least amount of bone. That is going to be the pork butt. Not the gluteus maximus on the back, but actually referring to the shoulder. That pork butt is going to have the lion's share of the fat, the marbling, and the meat. There's only going to be the shoulder blade, the scapula, that is inside that cut. Uh, Yes, while it is wide, it also uh, lends itself to be very thin. And so what that's going to do is that's going to allow more meat to be there. As you get down lower on the shoulder, you're going to then have... The what they refer to as the picnic, and that's the lower shoulder. That actually connects to the shank on a on a deer. You have a longer humerus bone that's going to be in there. So, like, I, I do a lot of mid-roasts with those. That's a great, like, pot roast style cut right there. You throw two or three in a crock pot, 
and man, you're set for pot roast for quite a while, especially for venison, uh, both shredded and uh, and just in, in chunks as well. So with the pork, the pork is actually going to be having an end where you've got the arm sticking out a little bit. You're that that uh, humerus bone actually protrudes out from the from the side of the cut there. And so you now have this like short arming effect where you're going to have a narrow section that's going to be sticking up and then it's going to actually then fan out towards the larger rest of the shoulder. On that section, it's almost using like the the bit of the chest, a bit of the rib side, and you can take those ribs out and you can leave yourself with just uh, the bone. The way I've cut it, I think I've actually nipped the end of the scapula off of the butt and I have the knuckle actually attached inside of the picnic. So I essentially had the start of one bone and then the humerus bone with the shank removed. What I've learned about this cut is that there's a reason that people go for the butt as opposed to picnic. I know when I was talking to uh, Cowboy Kev uh, from the barbecue chat He was really focusing on when, or even Mikey K. Mikey K actually did a really good job of explaining this. He said he's going to go for the butt every time because that's where the fat is at. That's where the fat and the marbling is going to be. What what, uh, What Cowboy Kev ended up talking about too is that it's not going to shred nearly as nice as what the butt is. So the picnic is going to be offered itself up. Yes, shreddable but also needing to be chopped. There will be sections of that that won't shred as nice, and they will have to have a heavy knife come through and chop it up to make it a little finer if you were to go for a pulled pork style uh, of, of finish on that. I found that to be exactly true. Now, the whole thing shredded. I shredded everything of that picnic. Uh, what what I was putting this together for was my bachelor or my, excuse me my brother in law's bachelor party. He wanted to have uh, an event at a disc golf course, and there was no real near kitchen. There was a parking lot, and knowing knowing that I like to do a lot of stuff with uh, outdoor cooking uh, events or you know just basically making up really good food, he's like, "Is there a way that you could tailgate at?" Uh, my bachelor party. And I said, you betcha, man, we will figure this out. Um, ended up smoking and preparing this meat ahead of time, about a week. And I tried to go real simple, at least on the carnitas side with the, the pork picnics. Um, I showed a couple of those on my Instagram as I, as I was cooking those along, but I didn't do, I did one where I actually seasoned overnight and I did one where I just seasoned a couple hours before I went in, or before I went into the smoker. Um, one of them, I did a very basic seasoning. I've got a good friend of mine who, when he does carnitas, he ends up adding a citrus, he adds cinnamon, and he adds bay leaf, and he adds salt. Those are the four elements of his carnitas when he puts uh and his is a a slow cooker recipe so when he puts the pork butt in there he's got cinnamon stick he's got a sliced up uh orange that goes in there he's got bay leaf and he's already salted the whole thing 
lets that go, and it comes out absolutely incredible. So I did that on the first one where I really kind of emphasized on the citrus end of it. I was mopping and spritzing with a a vinegar mop sauce uh, that I put together where every like 15 minutes or every like 30 minutes, you know, I I was kind of just going when I had a chance, I would go as I'm adding on the smoke at this point, and I would just spritz that down. Uh, Number one, to help that smoke penetrate as deep as it would go into the meat. And second, uh, just want to continue to add that seasoning, to add the flavor of the citrus, uh, add a little bit of the vinegar in there to really like have that smoke penetrate. First one turned out incredible. And as I shredded it out, some of those on the picnic side, the lower part of the shoulder were really long. They were really long muscle fibers. And so actually kind of taking the long stuff and moving it off to the side just so I could keep a good shred going. Uh, the smaller pieces I just kept ready to go in its uh, um, off to the side there on the tray. And then I came back through and just gave everything a quick chop, um, like two or three chops just to shorten up those muscle fibers on the long stuff and mix that all in. And from that, I was still offered a great product. I wanted something that could go onto a sandwich or into a taco and not completely run out the ends. I'm not looking for meat spaghetti. And that was what these uh, ribbons were starting to look like. They they fall apart um, great, but they were just super long. I mean, like, shoot, I had 10, 12-inch long striations. That muscle does a lot of stretching, does a lot of work inside that hog, and so it's got these long striated muscles. Chopping that up uh, helped out when it came to getting those into the tacos. The second one did very much the same same process, uh, but this one I actually added uh, from Kairos, a company that I've, I've got a chance to go back and forth with with Dave. I used his Western Wing. I think that just worked out awesome on on this pork. As much as I know it's supposed to go on birds and uh, fowl, man, this just works really well with any white meat. I would love to see it on some turkey here, but I definitely got a chance to use it on some pork. Awesome, awesome stuff. So that's where I put it in the fridge, hit it with that, jazzed it up huntivore style with, again, the cinnamon and the citrus. So I want to make sure that I still add the elements of the first recipe, but just mixed in with an added bit of rub. One of the things that uh, Cowboy Kev mentioned earlier, too, is that I need to then go back and season up the other 80% of that meat. I've done a great job on the outside getting this crust made, but as I shred, there's a lot of that meat that was primarily untouched by any any of that seasoning. So what I did is I actually saved all the drippings that came off of the, off the hog, in the water tray at that point. I then kind of boiled off, I reduced that liquid, and then poured it back into the meat. So it had something to swim in overnight. I know that uh, our barbecue guys, they make stuff and they got to get it out as soon as possible. They want stuff ready to go. And there's not this idea of having it overnight. I fully used the time and intention that I had, and I let that go overnight. So when I pulled that out of the fridge the next day, I had just a little bit of water. It was just a little bit of that juice on the bottom, but most of it was now solidified because of the gelatin 
and because of the fat that was on that wild hog. It just connected all that meat. I cut it into squares, almost like brownies, scooped them up, put them into a vac bag, and then sealed that up, threw it in the freezer just so it would be nice and ready to go for the event that was happening this past weekend. But as I was also doing that, I had a couple butt fellas from the party who don't appreciate pork. They're not big pork eaters. And I was like, oh, man, two days before, and I'm just remembering that uh, they are not high on the hog. I got to think of something else. So pulled out a couple of the shanks from the freezer of venison and pulled out one of our absolute favorites, venison barbacoa. Hank Shaw has an bang out recipe. I would say that's probably his flagship recipe. I use it all the time. I love to put away barbacoa and just have it ready to go. Wish I had some ready to go for this weekend. Totally didn't. So yeah, here I was last minute. Looked for an Instapot. Um, I melted ours on the stove. Totally ruined that one. Uh, It was a bad sort of event. I took the Instapot that I had just got done using and I slid it furthest back on the stove as I could. And as I did that, it knocked one of the knobs, turning it on to low. And I never, never saw that happen. Not until I came back around a few minutes later to smell burning plastic and wondering like, what the heck is going on? What is burning? What is, what is on fire right now? And then I looked and I saw that the bottom side of my Instapot was bubbling I pulled up the Instapot, and I could just see that the whole bottom section was just melted onto my electric stove, my glass top. Oh, no. It was awful. Shut it off. Luckily, it was actually wintertime. So I just took the whole unit outside and stuck it in the snowbank out in the front of the house. You could just hear it sizzling bubble right there. But now I had melted plastic on my cook stove. I got my Instapot rendered useless. Man, that was a rough day. But since then, I've, I've gotten along without needing the Instapot until this day, and I kind of called a few friends, hey, don't you guys have an Instapot? And uh, several of them either couldn't find it or had already given it away, and so it was like, well, shoot, I'm without pressure cooker. We're going to have to do this old style. We're going to do this old school. Uh, best way that I do like it, though, is out of the Dutch oven, so yep. Pulled up my big boy pants, and we did an all-day cook on that. Uh, into the Dutch oven goes all the ingredients, goes chipotles. Uh, I think there's some bay leaf in there, a whole smorgasbord of paprika, chilies. Goes in, and you just let that go for, shoot, eight hours. Um, actually, this one, because I used a few smaller shanks on this one, it did take like six, which was fine with me. Shredded that all up. Had the uh, the rest of the liquid on there, and I had re- and I had remembered that at one point I wanted to try Bira style tacos. I'm probably totally saying it wrong. Bira, anyway, B I R R A. Uh, so for someone with Mexican descendants, uh, let me know how I'm saying if I'm saying that correctly. Anyway, wanted to go for that style. And essentially what you're doing is then you're taking the cooking liquid and you're making that a consomme or like this stew. And from there you you remove the meat and I'm just left with this liquid here. And the idea is I have this on top of it. I have fat. 
I actually took a bunch of my bacon grease that I used to season my pans with, and that, you know, it's just always nice to have a little bacon grease on on standby. But anyway, a couple huge spoonfuls of that went into that liquid to finish out, rendered that on top, and I had myself a dipping liquid for the tortillas. So the stage was set for as I got out for the tailgate, we were going to be enjoying two tacos. We were going to be having uh, pork, wild pork carnitas uh, with a chipotle drizzle sauce that I made for that. And that was just a simple uh, rest of the chilies that, or rest of the chipotles that I didn't use for the venison. I ended up blitzing in with mayonnaise, sour cream, a little bit of cilantro, uh, a little bit of. I think garlic powder, uh, paprika, and red chili flake as well. All that gets blitzed up and put into a a squeeze bottle. That way you can just render that or just drizzle that right onto your taco. So that was a great pairing right there. Got got that cinnamon, got that Mexican feeling from the taco, and then just to add that little bit of fire from the chipotle drizzle worked out awesome. Went with simple toppings. All I did was onion, cilantro, and lime. Didn't go anything fancy. Do I wish I had pickled relish? Absolutely. But again, here we were just a few days before. We're also tailgating. I got to I gotta keep it within uh, reality standpoint here. I can't go way overboard, even though I'm already going overboard. But then we went with a Bira-style uh, venison taco. So I had that consomme heating up, and I had my two meats uh, heating up on one stove of the, on the side of the tailgate, and on the other I had my Blackstone. And what I love about the Blackstone is when you're making tacos, I can turn out Blackstone tacos, I mean, shoot, in seconds. Once I get that thing rolling, I am just taco boy throwing these things off onto the tray. I fed 12 grown men uh, quite easily with with what I had going on, my little system here. I take my my corn tortillas. I'm a corn guy. Yeah, there was a few flowers that went on there, but with the corn tortillas, those work the best. You throw those out and you start one side, get a little brown, flip them all over, sprinkle on cheese onto every one, followed up with the meat, fold over, make sure you got a good sear on the outside, really crisping up that tortilla. And then you pull those off, put them onto a tray, and you let them figure out what they want to put on their taco. So it's uh, it's one of those things like I'll do I'll do the main and then push it off to you to then dress up. And then everybody is happy. What I did with the venison ones as I, as I was starting is I would take the corn tortilla before it had hit the heat and I would dunk it completely into that stew, that consomme that I had made. And the first couple, as I would I would dip, dip them down, pull them out, and it would have the fat just holding on to that whole taco. Slap that, and there would just be this sear on the blackstone. Oh, it was an amazing sound. The smell that ripped off this as well. It just filled the whole place. Here we had just got done playing 18 holes of disc golf and had plenty of beer, so these guys were hungry, and it was just adding to that whole hunger stage at this point. They were now ready for these tacos to be done. As I added the cheese, I added the meat, folding them up, the fat that was holding on to that tortilla really crispened up that edge, and you got a just boost of flavor 
all those spices that I added into the venison that happened to not be in the meat was now floating in this consomme. And all I was just doing was just intensifying the flavor, adding more of that goodness into every single bite. And so pretty soon the guys were like, yo, yo, just do all the tacos like this. So I eventually ran out of that fat layer. Even though I added a bunch of bacon grease to go in there, the fat layer was used up. And so then after that, subsequent tacos were then a little less loaded with all the goodness. I mean, it worked out fine. Everybody got a chance to have a really rich beer taco, whether it be pork or whether it be venison. But if you're going to do this, keeping that on the side, I would also bring along a little extra fat to when you use up the fat layer that is on top that is actually floating above that uh, consomme that's floating above that stew and that juices, find some way to add a little bit more fat to get that fat layer in there, whether it's bacon grease, whether it's having a little bit of uh, Crisco or lard next to you. Just know that you might, you know, probably every six or so tacos you make in, add a couple more dollops, keep it heating through so it'll melt out that fat, and then you'll be able to have the last tacos be as good as the first tacos. So that's going to be my hot tip is be ready to reload your consomme if you're going to go with Bira tacos. But all in all, what a great way to kick off summer with including the smoker, getting things rolled through. Absolutely great start to this season. Dry Age Steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. An old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. Last thing that I want to talk about on this episode is, again, one more current event that I don't know, I've gone through now a couple times. And what I know about when events happen, uh, you do get, you know, if it happens once, it's an accident. Even if it happens twice, now we're looking at a pattern. And I'm now finding myself in the pattern zone of having my freezer get iced up. Yes, after a weekend away, came home, wife said, hey, having trouble getting into the freezer. I need some ground. I go to pull on the door, and the door does not budge. I look on the side just to see, like, well, what is going on here? Why isn't it coming apart? And I see that the door is ajar by, like, maybe a half inch. Well, I'd say that's a little much. Three-eighths of an inch. Just enough to let all of the now warm, summer, humid air to work its way into the freezer and begin building ice at an extraordinary rate of production to seal up my wild game in a chest of ice. 
dang it. And it happens to everyone. Well, Nick, I pay so much attention to my freezer that it has never yet happened to me. Well, then you haven't been living out of the freezer for long enough because it is not a question of if it will happen. It is a question of when it will happen. So, yes, had to do a full manual defrost of my upright freezer. Couple things going on with the initial setup that kind of put me at a disadvantage. So, moved the chest freezer to this location. And in fact, the floor is not, I mean, it is semi level, but the way that the concrete in my garage is laying out, it's actually on an upper walkway that runs along the front of our garage. That section is actually slightly tilted forward to allow for water runoff, uh, to allow water to then flow onto the main floor that then slopes down towards the drain. Get it. Works out really well. But when you put things on the door and the door becomes heavier, that's when you start to get the door to swing away when you don't necessarily want it to. So number one, I didn't put it on a flat surface, nor did I level it out. Number two, all of my already either pre-cooked goodies or small cuts or meat treats that I've made, those I found like, hey, I can put these on the door and they're a little bit easier to access. Um, Dehydrated a bunch of mushrooms and I actually had some that I uh, sauteed and those fit really well into one of the door, onto one of the door shelves. So... I loaded that up with a lot of like quick eats, uh, with a lot of, hey, I can make something out of this really quick, or just quick access. I don't have to dig through a uh, small little tub that I have in there, because I don't just throw everything in, I have everything in tubs, which actually has been a benefit. But anyway, I had a heavy door, I had it leaning towards the door. I did learn from the first time that I had this one ice up on me that I did purchase uh, some extra keys so that I could use the lock feature. Now, the lock is essentially a little plastic flange that flips up into a slot in the door frame. It does help keep that door closed, but it does allow the door to come open just a little bit. So the lock, not necessarily reliable, not flat ground, and a heavy door. That is what I'm thinking accumulated into this event of my door creeping open just a little bit and allowing this to then ice up. The good news is, while I did lose the contents of the door, all the ice built up was further back into the freezer, basically sealing off the front from having any of that warm get to it, and I had 90% retention of my wild game. All of that was still solid on the backside of the ice dam, the ice wall that was created, but on the front side, I did lose the stuff on my door. So ultimately... I'm thinking this is still a, it's still, I don't want to call it a win, but we can rebuild. This is something we can fix. This is something we can uh, come back from. 
One of the things is I have a plan, though. One of my saving graces is that not only that I have that ice wall seal everything up in there, but I do have a plan. Um, if my one freezer of, of the, the several freezers that I do have, I have the ability to transport frozen items from one freezer to another. So having multiple freezers, even if it's one freezer, the current one that I have down uh, that is actually housing uh, my pork that I'm trying to use, I'm, I keep a little bit of that open. My smaller chest freezer that is housing most of my venison right now, I on the bottom I have jugs of ice. Number one, to keep, uh, in the case of that freezer ever going down, I've got a couple days where it can sit idle without opening the lid. I've got a lot of uh, jugs of water, like gallon jugs of water filled three-quarters of the way up, and that's actually what I use throughout the summer for using in my my coolers uh, to keep either beer cold or stuff for camping. Like, that's that's what I use. I find that to be easier than getting a bag of ice. But anyway, I've got those on cue so that if I need to, I pull those out, and then I can put in the tubs from the upright, so then that way I can salvage those. Seeing that I had the 8-foot freezer on cue, I had plenty of room to move uh, the remaining parts, remaining bins of meat into those, so I was able to shuffle things around at a given moment. So that was nice to have. For not completely filling a freezer, but having two freezers on cue has been uh, a, a saving grace here at this moment, is that I did have a plan that I could then transport things to another freezer. So now, now I'm in the process of defrosting it. Uh, it's actually a good idea that if you haven't defrosted your freezer in a while, it might be a worthy effort to go ahead and do that. Maybe to have a couple coolers and pull all of your items out and stick them in the coolers so that you can then quickly uh, defrost your freezer, then put those items back in. It's going to be worth it, especially some of those older chest freezers. You might have a couple years of ice buildup on the side, and you've got it at a relatively, you know, you're like, you're dealing with it. But this might be a good time that we take care of that, because the more ice that does build up, that's going to find its way to the lid. That's where that warm, warm air is coming in. That's where the moist air is coming in. And all it's going to do is build ice and lift the lid ever so much. And then that is like breaking the water tension on your canoe. The whole lake is coming in and it's going to be a big problem. So finding a way to maybe this summer defrost your freezer so that you are then going to be able to save your meat from any sorts of thaw or have to use all of your meat now because it is thawed out completely. So now it comes to the idea of rebuilding, of putting things back in there. What I've done on one of my chest freezers is I had uh, a quick latch that I, I you know, just had it in the shop. It was a, a latch for a lid. I actually went ahead and just drove some, drove some screws into the lid and into the body of the freezer and put that latch on there so now I can latch the lid down so that I'm not going to have any of that build up. Um, it was also, when I first got this fridge, I could tell that the lid was already a little bit warped. I could tell that something heavy had either was set on this or 
uh, dropped on the lid, and so it kind of bowed out. And I was trying my best to flex it down, but I found that if I just put a little bit of pressure down on the seal side, it seals all the way around. So that's all I did is just used that a uh, little bit of downward pressure from the latch, and now I get a nice seal on that chest freezer. I'm thinking that instead of using the internal lock on this upright freezer, I add a latch very similar to this, to where now it's a manual latch that I'm not going to be able to to goof up, or at least I know that once I push that in, just enough pressure to flex out the seal, put that latch on, that's going to hold that from ever coming to swing open accidentally by bumping it or uh, whatever, whatever may happen. It get bumped forward or tipped forward. It's not going to be able to, to mess that up. The second thing that uh, several close friends was even saying is that maybe it's time for an alarm. And so finding a freezer alarm that somehow connects to my smartphone is also a great way to be able to do that. And I think that's probably going to be the next thing is I will be uh, searching on the market for something, A, that, that, that I do want to be cheap. Um, I do realize that it's going to have one function. I don't want to put all my eggs into one basket. But at the same time, I want something that's going to work. And there are some now that connect to your Wi-Fi uh, network that you can check on that uh, temperature wherever you're at. And that I think that is a good peace of mind. Even just have one that's audible, that even though we were gone for a weekend when we came back, and again we didn't have a couple we didn't have a couple days before we even knew that this was an issue, to, our, to come home to an alarm already going off, signaling that there is an issue, I think maybe could have helped out uh, a little bit better. I would have at least been able to get on top of it quicker. But that's neither here nor there. We dealt with the consequences, and now we've got a solution going forward. We're going to get everything wiped out. We'll do a quick sanitize of the inside because, hey, shoot, I got it all clear of ice now. Um, try to knock off as much of the built-off ice on top of my bins that I already have. Slide those bins back into their per perspective spots, and we will be good to go once again. So, yeah, just like uh, Bear Grylls always says, adapt and work from that point on. So see what the issue is have a plan, but then be able to find a way to bounce back. That's the story of my freezer. I didn't lose the freezer. It didn't break. It's just me and myself and I not being fully aware that that door had creeped open. So check your doors, think about some alarms, and think about having a plan on what to do with all of your frozen goodies. So yeah, folks, that is our episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed our little uh, food for thought, then talk about food, and then talk about the uh, effort in preservation. Maybe we should finish the race uh, when it comes to things in our life. And if we are fully going to kill and bring home that, that hard-fought game, let's go that extra mile and let's make sure that we roast it. Or in the case of even my freezer here, make sure that we fully freeze it and don't let it thaw out <laughs> at any point. But whatever you're going to be doing this summer, if it's going to be low and slow, or if it's going to be hot and fast on the grill, however you plan on preparing and roasting that game, make sure that the knife you are using is very sharp.